Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, Take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, we have one more sermon after this evening's message. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you um, preach sermons, uh, sometimes just in the church, you just have to have awkward conversations. Well, tonight may be a little awkward, but we're going to have a whole lot of fun. So would you stand as we read God's word in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. The Holy Spirit says through Peter, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You may be seated. Father in heaven, let your word speak. Hide me behind the cross. And Father, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody in leadership? Maybe it was a parent or a boss. Maybe it was a teacher. Or maybe it was your pastor. John Maxwell, uh, who is a leadership guru, says that everything rises and falls on leadership. Sadly, I want you to understand that I believe that there is a leadership crisis in our day. Leadership, as Maxwell would say, is influence and the capacity to impact and affect reality. Uh, We live in a day uh, of great suspicion when it comes to leadership. And this suspicion is not just uh, of in the church, but it's, it's all across in every spectrum. And the problem is not leadership in general. The problem is bad leadership in particular. Sadly, Uh, Many people have been hurt by authoritarian, abusive, corrupt, hypocritical leadership, not only inside the church, but outside the church. Well, here's the question for tonight. Is there any hope for trusting leadership in the church and outside of the church? Are there any leaders worth following? And the answer is, yes, there are. And I know that for some of you, this is an awkward conversation. Knowing just the history of our church, what our church has gone through in the past few years, 
that maybe some of the things I'm gonna share with you tonight might hit close to home. Well, Peter here is writing to a group of new believers whose lives have been radically, dramatically changed by the living hope that they have found in Jesus Christ. Many of them, as we've talked week after week, were were living in isolation, often ostracized from society, and many of them feeling that they were now alone. They have been abandoned by both family and friends because of their new relationship with Jesus. Many of them were suffering great persecution. They needed encouragement. They needed someone in their lives to care for them and someone in their lives to guide them. And that's what we all need. Everyone in this room, even the pastor, needs someone to pastor them. See, if we are going to be cared for as sheep, we must commit ourselves to a Christian community led by faithful shepherds. Some of you, maybe you are not ready to commit to a church because you have been hurt by a pastor. Some of you are skeptical of any kind of organized religion. And I've got good news. We're not very organized around here. But I want you to understand that if you are a Christian, you should have a desire for a pastor that you can follow. Godly leaders that that you want to emulate them as they emulate Christ. And so Peter here is writing about something that is very relevant. Maybe you come to church tonight and you were looking for something else. Well, tonight I believe God has a word for everyone in this room and everyone watching online because Peter wants to point us to the type of leadership that we need. Now, a lot of what I'm gonna talk about does deal with the pastor and does deal with those in pastoral ministry. But for those of you in this room that are leaders, this is appropriate to you. See, what Peter teaches us is that godly leaders lead by example, love their people, and live in humility. So let's just unpack that. Number one, godly leaders lead by example. Verse one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, this word elder, again, if you're new to church, what does this mean? Well, this is the Greek word presbyteroi. It can be translated as elder, pastor, overseer, or shepherd. Uh, this particular word in the New Testament deals with those in church leadership positions. So every church has leadership and every church needs good and godly pastoral leadership. God has given the church pastors to be a blessing to the church, to equip and shepherd the church for the work of the ministry. Our church has a plurality of pastors, a plurality of elders. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor or as the lead elder among the pastoral staff chosen by the church uh, to be the leader of the church. Just a few, what, 13, 14 weeks ago, I started this role as the lead pastor here. I am under the authority of Christ and I serve under the pleasure, uh, serve at the pleasure of the church. Uh, The lead pastor uh, should not lead without any accountability because absolute power corrupts absolutely. So our church has systems, our church has mechanisms for accountability. No church system is perfect. Our church is uh, pastor, elder-led, deacon-served, committee-operated, and congregationally approved. This helps with some checks and balances, but yet no system is perfect because no leader is perfect. 
And so Peter here says, I exhort the elders. So who, here's who he is talking to specifically now in the letter. But notice here that Peter identifies himself as an elder. He does not command them. Notice that he says, I exhort you, not command you. Uh, Peter is an apostle who could have in his apostolic authority uh, given them a command, but he addresses them as a sim uh, a presbyteroi. That's in the Greek. He as a co-elder. Uh, and so he says, I want to speak as an elder to the elders, and I want to speak to the elders among you. Now, here's what you have to understand. He's addressing the leadership of the church in this epistle, but this epistle is being read by the entire church. And so why is that important? And why is it important to have a sermon like this at our church? Is because Peter's instruction to leadership was to be known by everyone in the church for accountability. So Peter here is inviting the church to listen to how leaders should treat them. And so notice here, he says two times, elders among you, elders among you. Two times he says that elders were among the people. And what does that mean? And this is important. The pastor is to be among his people, not above his people. Good pastors are first and foremost sheep. They know their sheep and they embrace their sheepdom. And so pastors do not comprise a fundamentally different category of Christians. It's not that pastors are the varsity Christians and everyone else is the JV. No, pastors are average, normal, healthy believers who have been called and equipped and gifted to be a pastor, but they're to serve as examples to the flock. So what you see here is that Peter is leading through, uh, through relationships. Uh, it was Jim Henry, Dr. Jim Henry, who was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orlando a few years ago, who I was meeting with, talking with, and one of the things he said to me as a young pastor, he said, son, pastors should smell like sheep. Sheep often have a smell. And if you are with them, you will smell like them. But if you are in your little ivory tower, only coming down two or three times a week to pontificate and then back to your ivory tower you go, you will not have an impact. Peter had a relationship with these people. They saw his life. They saw his example. He was accessible and he was approachable. Peter didn't just float in and float out. He did not put himself at a higher status than others. Notice here, he says, I am also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Okay, so he physically saw Christ's suffering. He was himself the cause of Christ's suffering through his denials. And he personally suffered for Christ. But he also says, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, I am a fellow partaker of the glory, the living hope. I am myself equal to you as a believer needing to be saved by a savior. I need to be saved by a savior. I am not your savior. No pastor is your savior. Every pastor needs to be saved by the savior. See, good leaders practice what they preach. Character, integrity matter 
in leadership. When you read the qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the things, we don't have time to go through this, but one of the things that one author, as I read recently, said is that character is more important in that character, in those qualifications, than giftedness. As a matter of fact, if you read all the qualifications for a pastor, only really one thing on the list is ability, the rest are character. Everything else in the list is what moves, motivates, and directs the heart of a pastor leader. And, and that is the ability to teach. And so, so many times we think the ability to teach is the primary qualification of a pastor and the character doesn't matter. Here's the deal, Pickles. If you have the greatest orator in the entire world, but he does not walk with God, he's a fraud. Paul Tripp says in his book, Lead, I think that there are times when we are more attracted to big personality, powerful communicating, and result-producing leaders than to persons of beautiful character. Have we closed our eyes to certain character deficiencies in a leader because of the effectiveness of his or her leadership performance? See, what should matter most in leadership is character, not celebrity. Does this person walk in integrity? Does this person practice what they preach? Does this person truly walk with God, love their family, and pursue holiness? You know, all my life, I'm 37s, so I'm getting older. All my life, I have been known, and everywhere that I went, even a meeting I went to this week, to be the youngest pastor in the room. I've always been the young pastor. And listen, it's very intimidating to pastor people with greater life experiences than yourself. You know, some people have greater educations, greater intuition, greater wisdom, greater abilities. And I, you know, I started in pastoral ministry at the age of 18. I became to be a pastor at the age of 21. And, and you have these moments where you just feel, how am I sufficient to do the job? And so a, a verse that God gave me that has stuck with me and that's encouraged me is 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, in which Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set an example, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Listen, if you're a young person in the room, you want to be a leader, lead through your character. Character is who you are when no one's watching. Reputation is what others say about you. Character is who you really are. See, what people need in a leader is one who keeps showing up, who is consistent day in and day out, who walks with God. Robert Murray McShane, a young Scottish pastor in the mid-19th century, once said this, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. The greatest need to be, for me to be your pastor is that I need to be walking with God day in, day out. Good leaders lead through example. Secondly, godly leaders love their people. They don't use their people. They love their people. He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here, Peter explains the, the task of a pastor. It's shepherding God's people. The church, notice, 
is something, notice something that he says there. The church is God's flock, not the pastor's flock. Y'all are not my church. We are in the same church together. I don't own you, and you don't own me. We're God's church. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and the pastor is his under-shepherd. Pastors or leaders are to care for the people they lead. Being a pastor, being a shepherd is a privilege not a, and a responsibility. He says, shepherd the flock. You've been given this command. You've been given this calling. You've been given this giftedness. Do it. Shepherd them. And then he goes to more explanation, exercising oversight. In other words, make decisions. Lead the people. Leaders love the people they lead by leading the people they love. People need and people want loving leadership. And I want to be the kind of leader, and I hope you want to be the kind of leader that others want to follow. John Maxwell, again, he who leads and no one follows is merely taking a walk. <laughs> now, how do pastors lead? Well, a lot of people think that they lead this way or that way. I think that the pastor's best way, the lead pastor's best way to exercise oversight is by the preaching of the word of God. The best and godliest pastors and leaders are men of the book. Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 says this, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So who made me the overseer of this church? The Holy Spirit did. Now he used you, but that's who brought me here. He says, care for the church of God why is this important? Because Jesus Christ purchased you by his blood. He says here, we have to pay attention. If you are in leadership, you need to pay attention to yourself. As much as you look out for the flock, you have to guard your own heart. Because what Peter's going to do here in a moment is he's going to give three contrasts on how, on how leaders should love and shepherd God's people. And here's what I found about most pastors that are, that, that are really born-again, spirit-filled men, is that most of them got into ministry and they didn't start out being lousy. They didn't start out being wicked. They started out loving God, serving God with pure motives, and they allowed their sinful hearts to go unchecked. So everyone in this room, you may have great ambitions and great motivations and great desires to serve God, but if you don't have accountability and if you let your life go unchecked, anything can happen to you. So notice here this, this con contrasting here. He says that shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, but how are you to exercise oversight? Number one, not under compulsion, but willingly. That is, you should want to do it. Let me just give you something. Any of you that have any aspirations for ministry, ministry is not for wimps. And ministry is not just another job. Leaders that pastor or just leaders in general must have a wholehearted desire to lead God's people. They should not serve God 
and especially God's people out of obligation, they should serve out of love. And here's what it requires. Serving God's people requires long hours, late nights, difficult conversations, multiple confrontations, headache, heartache, rejection, hurt, and pain. You got to want to do it. You got to be called to do it or you won't make it. That's what Peter says. Because if you, and I'm gonna, I don't want to steal my thunder later, but if you are not called and gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it will crush you. It will crush you. Barna did a recent study uh, that did, it's a state of pastors. Um, and, and well, here's some statistics that they found that I thought you might find interesting. The average age of the lead or senior pastor in America has gone from 44 years old to 54 years old in 25 years. What does that mean? It means that we're not raising up enough younger pastors. We're not raising up the next gen. That's what it means. One out of five pastors in America struggle with mental health. One out of three in America are at risk of burnout. 38% of pastors that were surveyed thought of quitting the ministry completely during COVID. One out of three pastors right now are considered healthy in terms of well-being. The average size of of an evangelical church in America is under a hundred. The median size is 75 people. If I took last week's attendance of our church, we have at least 32 to 34 median sized congregations in one church. Pastors, you gotta, to be a pastor, you've got to be called to do it. You have to do it willingly. Daniel Deroni, who speaks on leadership, uh, it says that leaders have adversaries who criticize and condemn, squinting at the simplest act. They drown their leaders, delight at their demise, forgetting it is much easier to critique a sermon than to deliver one. It is easier to rail at a leader than to be one. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. You don't want a groaning pastor. So he says here, listen, you need to do it not out of obligation. You should do it willingly. You have to have a love for your people, not an obligation. This is not another paycheck. You've got to love the people. And then he goes on and he goes a little bit further and he says that for good leaders, you shouldn't do it for shameful gain, but you should do it eagerly. Peter's saying, don't be a prophet for profit. Don't use your position of leadership to feed your greedy heart. There is always a temptation to use any position of authority to get money or things from people. If you read both the Old and the New Testament, false teachers are often indicted by God because of their love for money and the fleecing of God's people. Churches should provide for their pastors. But pastors should not get into the ministry for money. It's not a good financial plan. You know, one of the biggest concerns that I had before coming to be your pastor 
was living in Southwest Florida around so much affluence. I, I came from Sanford. It was what they call Bow Key. It was, there were not a lot of wealthy people. You know, if you saw one Tesla that day, you saw something. Here, if you don't see a Tesla, there's something wrong with you. And one of the things that I was, and I still am concerned about in our own heart, is to be around so many affluent people. And God's blessed some of you. Praise God. He's blessed you to be a blessing, not to sit on it, by the way. Just saying. I'm not after your money, but. But being around so many affluent people and not being personally affected by it. It is easy for our sinful hearts to be caught up trying to keep up with everybody. I mean, how many of you buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like? <laughs> Peter says, you serve people, not yourself. He says, if you're going to love those that you lead, you, you should do it because you want to, not because you have to. And you should do it not to get rich, but you should do it because you love these people. And then he goes to the last one, not domineering. Not lo literally lording over people. Don't be oppressors. Be examples. My daddy, who was a pastor for years, said, he said, son, pastors don't drive sheep they lead sheep. You lead, through you lead through relationships, not position. You, if you're a leader, and even if you're not a pastor, if you have any position, you are to use the position to serve others, not to be served by others. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, he called his disciples together and says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But notice what he says to his disciples. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Gentile leaders loved their authority. They, they loved people bowing down and kissing the ring. They, they loved reminding people of their power. But Jesus says, that's not to be among my disciples. It's not called lordship. It's called servanthood. And so these passages here are an indictment against entitled, demanding, controlling, power-hungry people. Paul Tripp, again, in his book, Lead, said this, leaders who do not serve aren't actually leaders. They use their power and position and those they have been called to to lead to get for themselves what they think they deserve. True leaders don't think that the ministry they have been called to lead and those they have been called to belong to them. A true leader knows that people are not objects of his power and control, but the focus of his sacrifice and service. It is easy to go from loving your people to loving to lead your people to then just loving yourself. What the church needs are leaders who do not just occupy positions and offices of authority, but those who lead. What the church needs is not those who treat the office as a privilege, but as a call from God to die to personal comforts and convenience and embrace a harder road. Men and women who 
win trust rather than pursue it. Leaders who guide, feed, cast vision, defend, and protect. This was a big deal to Peter. I know for some of you tonight, you're like, man, you got to preach about preachers because everyone in this room is affected by them. Everyone in this room is affected by leaders. Maybe you want to be a pastor one day. Here's what I, this, it was so personal to Peter. You have no idea how personal this issue was. Do you remember after Jesus rose from the dead in John's gospel, Peter denied Jesus, then the resurrection. Peter saw Jesus on the cross. We don't know everything, but one of the, one of the first times that Peter really saw Jesus again Peter was on a boat. He was fishing. Jesus was on the seashore. Been there many times to that place. And Jesus was cooking breakfast. Now, it wasn't bacon and eggs, but it was probably something good. And so it's probably fish. And so Peter jumps off the boat, takes his clothes off, jumps off the boat, goes up to where Jesus is. Jesus talks to him. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter, remember, just denied Jesus and then the resurrection and all this stuff is happening. And what Jesus says to Peter is this. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? You remember this story? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I, I love you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus says, tend my sheep. Jesus says the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter in his mind is like, does this dude got like a hearing problem post-resurrection? And Jesus looks at him after Peter says, yes, Lord, I agape you. I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Leaders best express their love for Jesus by caring and loving his sheep. The ability to love God's people comes by loving Jesus. If you struggle with loving people in the church, it could be you're not falling in love with Jesus. When you and I treasure Jesus above all else, we will love who Jesus loves. You know, I haven't said this yet. In my last church, I said it every Sunday. So I'm going to say it this morning, this evening. I love you. I genuinely, deeply, truly love you. And it's an honor to be your pastor. <clears throat> Leaders lead by example. Leaders love God's people. Thirdly, I told you this was going to be awkward, but it's a good awkward. Leaders live in humility. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger. Why is he addressing young people? Well, Peter's addressing young people in the church because if there's one area that young people need help in, it's humility. Young people often know how the world works. They think they know it better than everyone else. 
and they chafe at anyone who tells them what to do. Peter says, you that are younger, have a servant mindset, follow the leader's example, not by using the pos- your position to dominate, but use your position to care and serve. And then notice here, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So Peter is not only addressing the leaders, but now he's addressing the entire church. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. The word clothing here, it's an interesting word here, interesting thought here. He says, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with it. Clothing in every culture, from Peter's day to our day, signifies often your standing and status in society. So when I was a kid growing up, listen, I was a pastor's kid. We, we weren't the wealthy class. And so I would go to school, to public school, and, and, and the rich kids wore the name brand clothing. So when, when I, this was uh, born in the 80s, went to school in the 90s. You know, y'all remember Saved by the Bell? Zach Morris, big old honking phone. Anybody in this room? TGIF. Y'all remember any of that? You remember the old show, The Dinosaurs? Not to Mama? I'm not, listen, this, this is 90s night. Some of you like were born in, you know, like past the 90s. You're like, what is he talking about? It's, it, read it in the history books, okay? And so growing up as a kid, the rich kids wore Abercrombie and Fitch. Like we were so poor, we couldn't even walk in the store. Like I would want to walk in there. Dad said, no. Why? We can't afford it. We're so broke, we can't even pay attention, let alone go in that store. (laughs) They wore Nike. And y'all remember when Tommy Hilfiger was the thing? The poor kids wore the Walmart brand jeans. They were called rustlers. Y'all remember, anybody anybody have a pair of rustlers? I had a pair of rustlers, yeah. Some of y'all in Naples, like, what is he talking about? We've never never bought any clothes in Naples. What is he talking about, Patricia? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, you know, we wore rustlers. We couldn't even wear champs clothing. We had to wear chumps, athletic brand, okay? Every now and again, when, when, when things got froggy at the Brumbach house, we would go to that French store, Jasse Penet, okay? Every now and again. And you would go to school and, you know, everybody would be in these, you know, and then there I was, you know, in clothes that was made by Mimi the pup tent maker. And we just came in there and, and it was anyway, but what you wore is where you stood. For believers, the defining uniform is humility. Just as you put on your clothes every day, so you should put on humility. You should wrap yourself in it every day and you should never leave the house without it. You should make sure that you keep it on throughout the day. What is humility, you might ask? Well, C.S. Lewis gave such a great definition. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. For any organization to thrive, both those who lead and those who follow must live in humility. Humility is the oil that allows relationships to run smoothly and lovingly. Pride gets upset when others do not follow their leadership. Pride is what is upset when they're being led by someone else. See, when when, when you come to church, 
When you look around, my, my prayer is, is that people would see humility on the platform and in the pew. The church needs strong, courageous leaders who are clothed in humility. Humility is being unconcerned about power, prestige, and position. Humble people take the lowest seat and are content with being a servant. Why is this important? Because, what does he say? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, some people can strut sitting down. Some people come in and they, this peacock can come in as proud as they can be. And God says, I oppose you. Does anybody want to be opposed by God? We should fear God's opposition. As a church, I think that God has allowed these past three or four years to humble us. Can I get a witness on that? It's good to be humbled because when you're humbled, God gives you grace. These 75, 76 baptisms in six or seven weeks didn't happen because I came from Sanford. They happened because the Spirit of God is moving among the people of God to do the work of God in the house of God for the glory of God. And I don't know about you, but I need grace. And God gives grace to the humble. And some of you are humble and proud of it. <laughs> you have to be humble to get grace. Grace is not deserved. And those who get grace know they don't deserve it. You know, the key to life is realizing you don't deserve anything. Humility is the soil of faith. It's the precondition to be open to receive grace. Humility says, I can do nothing without God's grace in my life. The kind of leader our church needs are those who realize that they are nothing without Christ. That we are all insufficient leaders without his grace empowering us day by day. Let me end. I'm sure you're happy. You said, preacher, you skipped verse four. No, I didn't. Here we go. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, mm, when he shall come with trumpet sound, you shall receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter promises to godly leaders that there is a reward for those who lead well. Did you know, sitting in seminary class, first seminary class, taught by Don Whitney, spiritual disciplines, first class, he said, one out of 10 of you will start ministry as a young person and will end it as an old person. One out of 10. I looked at this and there's no way. I look back to some of the people and, and he got that statistic from John Bassanjo, uh, who was in Houston. As I look back in people in my life, one by one by one, they fell away. There's a heavy mantle of leadership. That heavy mantle is a call to suffer in serving those you lead. 
Leaders are the first ones to go into suffering. That's what he ends chapter four. We didn't walk through chapter four, but if you read chapter four, it talks about suffering. Peter says, don't worry about what you lost. It's not lost because your reward will be greater than any loss. The question is, how can I know that? If I'm the pastor, how can I know that? If you're a leader, how can you know that? How can I know that whatever I lose for him on earth is not a loss? You know how I can know that? Because Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate leader who is worthy of our following and worthy of our trust. Every shepherd has a shepherd, and the ultimate shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the leader that we want, and he is the one that we ultimately need. Every human leader, listen, church, listen to what I'm about to say. Every human leader, no matter how good, will let you down. I will let you down. Do not put me on a pedestal. I am a human being that is a sinner saved by grace. The greatest pastors, leaders, counselors, ministry leaders in the church today are not worthy of your ultimate trust and allegiance, but Jesus is, and he'll never let you down. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for you were straying like sheep and now have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus embodies all these characteristics. Jesus led by example. Jesus loved his people. Jesus lived in humility. Let me give you one last thing. I know, I'm sorry, but it's Saturday night. You got nothing else to do. So let me just tell you this one, okay? (laughs) Peter, this is so, you guys, I love the Bible, but think about the guy who wrote this book, this epistle. His name was Peter. I've walked with a lot of different parts of Peter's, but just think about the night that Jesus took his disciples to an upper room. You know, we've talked about the most painful moment in Peter's life. We've talked about the most shameful moment in Peter's life. We've talked about the most awkward moments in Peter's life, but I want to talk to you about the most humbling moment in Peter's life. Oh, would you just, in your minds, Jesus, in his last moments, rented an upper room for Passover. And he got down on his hands and knees. Jesus, the Lord of glory. And he took the basin of water and a rag and he washed the disciples' feet. This was the task of the lowliest servant in the house. And he came to Peter, and Peter said, not I, Lord, not me. Mm-mm. I don't know if like Peter had stinky feet, I don't know. He said, not me. Jesus says, if I don't do this, you're not mine. So Peter said, hey, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. If that's what it takes, I need. And Jesus stood down and he washed his feet. And what Peter learned that night was this, is that no pastor 
is greater than their master. Paul Tripp, at the heart of every hope that the gospel offers us now and in the future is a suffering servant. Without Jesus's willingness to be humble and deny himself, without his willingness to become a servant, without his willingness to suffer even to death, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no church. There would be no leaders raised up to carry on the gospel mission, and there would be no message to carry. Jesus washed his feet, and that required Peter to let him. Do you know tonight, church, Jesus wants to wash your feet? The Son of Man come not to be served, but to serve. And some of you, you need to be saved. You need to give your life to Jesus, but you won't humble yourself. You won't allow Jesus to give you his grace. You say, not me. Uh-uh. Not me, Lord. I'm not, I've got to work my own way to heaven. Not me. Jesus says, if you don't let me, if you don't trust me, if you don't allow me to do this, I have no part with you. Same is true. Don't miss heaven because of your pride. But I want to just say one last thing because I told the Lord I would do it. Some of you are called to ministry right now. You, I'm not, everyone's called to ministry. So don't like, there's no like mystery of that. But some of you feel that God may be calling you to be a pastor one day, be a church leader one day, maybe be a missionary serving with the International Mission Board or with the North American Mission Board. If you feel, if you've been running from that call, if you know God's called you to ministry, but you've been running, you know what? You're like Peter. Not me, Lord. I don't want you to wash my feet. I'm not, no. Allow God to move in your life and just say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I surrender. Just run to the Father. Stop running from Jesus. Run to the Father. Run to Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with this message. I know it's long, but God, I know that you have something for it. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do something greater, that there would be men and women in this room, boys and girls, who would answer the call to the nations. God, I pray that you send our best and our brightest to leave this church and go across the street or around the world preaching and proclaiming your gospel. Do it, Jesus. Call out the call today and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let it sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.